Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Everything USC podcast on Believe, the number one content network for professionals, the place to find a sports or pop culture show for passionate fan bases across multiple platforms. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? I'm your host, Nara Wang, and in episode 73, Jeff Fellinser, Associate Professor of Professional Practice for Sports, Business, and Media at USC's Annenberg School for Communication and Journalism, and a Heisman Trophy voter, which we'll get into later, is my guest to talk about the Trojans. Jeff, glad to have you back on the Everything USC podcast. Nara, it's always a pleasure to be with you. Happy holidays. Happy holidays to you as well. And of course, if you enjoy listening to this show, subscribe, download, and rate it wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, TuneIn, and more, or go right to our website, Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media at Believe Network and at Believe Sports. To find me on social media, go to Twitter, find and follow at Narawang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Jeff, if people want to catch up with you and what you're doing, where do they find you? You can find me on Instagram, Jay Fellinser. I would love to have uh, your listeners tune in if they get a chance to my uh, podcast, which is called The Front Row. I hope to be posting some new interviews. I like to chronicle the interesting journeys, how you got from there to here with newsmakers and sports and having fun with that. So that's a good place to reach me and IG and Twitter occasionally. So yeah, love to hear from many of your listeners. The Everything USC podcast is brought to you by Bet Online, where you'll find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends. Basketball is back and Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. And as your continued source for all sports wagering information, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. It's always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events, whether that's NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, or even golf. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. Bet online where the game starts. If you told USC football fans prior to the start of the season that the Trojans would be 11-2 and and going to a New Year's Six bowl game, I'm pretty sure every single one of them would have taken it. But when it happens <laughs> following a loss in the Pac-12 championship game to Utah, with a spot in the college football playoff at stake, the results don't feel as satisfying as they probably should in Lincoln Riley's first season at the helm of the program. Especially when that loss was the second one of the season to Utah. Especially when they see quarterback Caleb Williams hobbling around after popping his hamstring on a 59-yard run in the first quarter. And especially when they see Trojan defenders missing tackle after tackle in the 47-24 loss in Las Vegas last Friday night. Williams, 28 of 41, 363 yards for three touchdowns, one interception, despite 
hobbling around for most of the game after he injured that hamstring, was sacked seven times uncharacteristically. Usually he's able to escape pressure pretty well, but after he got hurt, he was pretty much a sitting duck. And the running game was pretty much non-existent. Austin Jones, 15 carries for 35 yards. The other 21 yards the Trojans had were from Williams. Obviously, he had a lot more gain, but then lost a ton on the sacks. Receiving end, Taj Washington, six catches, 93 yards, and a touchdown to lead the way. Jordan Addison, 65 yards on five catches. Mario Williams, 51 yards and a touchdown on three catches. And as usual, Caleb spread the ball around, but it just wasn't enough because on the other side of things, Cameron Rising, who looks like a first-round NFL draft pick whenever he plays USC, 22-34, 310 yards and three touchdowns through the air added 18 yards on the ground, and Jaquindon Jackson, a guy who was a backup quarterback to begin his career with the Utes, 13 carries, 105 yards, and two touchdowns, Makai Bernard, 88 yards, and a touchdown on 11 carries, and in the first game, Dalton Kincaid was the one who destroyed the Trojans, He's still recovering from an injury, so he only had 40 yards on four catches in the championship game, but Money Parks, 88 yards and a touchdown. Thomas Yasmin was the tight end who killed USC. 81 yards on two catches and that big touchdown that broke the back of the Trojans after they had gotten back to within one score, thought they were going to make it a game late, and then immediately Utah turned it around and got Yasmin the big touchdown where he broke a few tackles. Jalen Dixon also had a touchdown catch. He actually led the team with six catches. and. It was really one of those games, Jeff, where all of the things that USC fans were worried about came to roost. The defense, which had been so reliant on turnovers throughout the season, well, they forced a fumble. Max Williams, the leading tackler in the game for SC with 12, he forced the fumble that was recovered by Bryson Shaw. But really, they just could not do enough in that realm, and they were trying maybe too hard to get turnovers late and that led to some of the missed tackles and USC falls short of the college football playoff despite being the number four team going into the game they drop all the way down to number 10 so when you look at how that game played out are you disappointed in USC not coming through in the biggest spot there in the Pac-12 championship game yeah, I think you're disappointed. I think you're most disappointed in how the game got away from the Trojans. You know, I was telling my class last night that one of the big themes, subplots going in was, well, it's really hard to beat a team twice. I didn't really buy into that one because the first game really felt about as close to a USC victory as you could get. I mean, you know, leading for 59 minutes. So typically when a when a team has that mental hurdle of we beat a team, you know, it's usually maybe, you know, you handle the team. Now, how are you going to mentally reset and do it again? Much like Utah the year before had beaten Oregon. Now they had to go play a quality team a few weeks later and the Ducks again. And there was a real concern. Could they muster up enough of that, you know, emotional edge to do it again? Well. In this case, as I was saying, you know, it, it really felt like USC's game almost the entire way the first time. So I feel if 
anything, it was Utah saying, man, we can't afford to have what happened last time, which was USC was dominating the game for so much of it with a 14 point lead in Salt Lake City. And so I didn't think there was any real hurdle to get over. It was like, we've got to come out, you know, and try to assert our will. Then the game starts and it looks like a repeat of the game in Salt Lake. USC gets the quick 14 point lead and is threatening to go beyond that. What surprised me was just, you don't run away from Utah usually. It just doesn't usually happen given, you know, the sort of defensive mindset of the program and the physicalness of the players, uh, especially on defense. So it looked like it could get away. And, you know, you kind of had that, wow, could this be something, you know, almost historic, like going to beat Utah 44 to 14 or something? No, because that just doesn't happen to Utah. I guess I was most surprised by how Utah just kind of run away and hid. But obviously, as you alluded to, you know, the Caleb Williams injury was devastating and it took that one whole element practically completely away from the Trojans, which was, you know, these the ability to extend plays and make these Houdini-like plays out of nothing, as Caleb Williams has done all year. You take that out, they could load up on the line of scrimmage, the Utah defensive line. You know, USC's offensive line clearly was was hurting, forced people out of position into new positions, and frankly, in the second half, just got steamrolled. So it was kind of a tale of two games within the game, you know, the first one in the, the first quarter and a half or so, and then once the game turned, I mean, Utah was hard to stop. And that's just, that's how they can get because of the nature of the way they play and also having an elite player and Cam Rising. Again, as you said, he looks like a first round pick when he plays USC. But I'll tell you what, he, he looks to me like a guy that will play on Sundays whenever I see him play. He rarely has an off game. He probably had one against Oregon, but he was still hurting. But, it, it, you know, hats off to Utah for them to rally the way they did. You know, even when Caleb got hurt, you still have to turn that into your own advantage. They did, you know, and they weren't to be stopped. It was a beatdown. So it was kind of a hard one to swallow, given the expectations. And so many of my students were talking about it. Most of them made the trip to Las Vegas. And, and there was a collective disappointment, certainly, as I discussed it with them in my classes this week. But overall, when you look back and say, well, USC lost to one team this season, it, I think you would have won a lot of money if you did laid out the odds of that being the case uh, when the season started. For sure. And the only team to beat USC this season did it twice. The only team to outgain USC all season did it twice. As in the Pac-12 title game, Utah racked up 533 yards of total offense. SC only able to muster 419 in that one, mainly due to the rushing disadvantage, 223 to 56 in the rushing yardage in favor of the Utes. And some of that was, I think, once Caleb got hurt, I don't know if Lincoln Riley maybe should have tried to push the run game a little bit more, maybe work in Relic Brown and Darwin Barlow just to mix it up a little bit. And he even admitted to a little bit of maybe getting away from the run too soon in the game. But again, part of that maybe was because of the offensive line. Andrew Voorhees unable to play due to injury. And then Brett Nealon getting hurt late. And of course, we feel bad for him. A really great player throughout the years for USC, who's played his final game due to that injury. Won't be available for the bowl game. And we wish him well. But overall, 
you're right. Utah is too tough a team. They went down 14 twice in the first matchup and came back. Some of that was referee-aided in that first game, and you can say maybe in this one that was injury-aided, but still, you can never put that Utah team away until that final seconds tick off the clock, and they showed how good they are. Again, they'll move on to play Penn State in the Rose Bowl. USC will play January 2nd in the Cotton Bowl against Tulane. And some honors, though, going to SC players. Caleb Williams, the Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year. Tuli Tui Pelotu, the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year. Now, hopefully, both of those guys will be available for that bowl game. You never know with Tui Pelotu probably going to be a pretty good NFL prospect, whether he will opt out or not. And Caleb Williams, of course, has the injury to deal with. He has to come back for another year of college football. but. We'll see if the hamstring is healed enough to play him in that game. Do you think that maybe Miller Moss should have been put into this one? Because Caleb clearly was not himself. Yeah, I do know. I, I really do. I was really surprised when the game was getting out of hand that it wasn't just, you know, cut your losses here and get Caleb out of the game. Now, you know, Lincoln Riley said afterwards that I couldn't take him out. He wouldn't let me take him out. And I, I kind of laughed and thought, my interpretation was the as I looked out, I thought the only real only reason I can think of that he would still be in the game when it was clearly out of hand was that maybe he's trying to send a message to Heisman voters. You know, the, the game had been decided, but like the effort level is extraordinary. There's no question about it. It's been that way all year, even when he's been healthy. I mean, just to get out of so many difficult spots within a play within a game you know that like his will to win is is off the charts and it was almost like he was trying to knowing that the college football world was watching they that game on friday night saying you know this guy is is extraordinary and that he had no quit in him that was the only thing i could think of you would have watched usc all season i mean we didn't need that as a reminder that his pain tolerance and just his will is you know, on another level. So I thought, yes, it would have been a great opportunity to have used Miller Moss and let him get a little bit of experience against a quality opponent. And on a big stage, even even though the game had been decided, I think that could have been helpful. So I was surprised. And to wrap up the Pac-12 championship game, I have to go through the predictions I made on the last show with USC alum and Texas Rangers pre- and post-game studio host Jared Sandler, the players that we believed in. We both didn't take Caleb Williams, but we stayed on the offense. I took Jordan Addison, who had the five catches, 65 yards. Jared took Austin Jones, 35 yards on the ground, added 40 receiving. So really a wash there, so I'm calling that a tie. The game score, well, we're both proud Trojans, and we both took USC. I said 38-34. Jared said 41-28, so obviously with the Utah win, neither of us get that, so no winner there. And then in the prop bet portion, Nara's no-doubter was that there would be a defensive or special teams touchdown scored. There were none. And Sandler's sure thing was that Austin Jones would have 90-plus rushing yards. He did not reach that. But he also threw a bonus kind of not-so-sure thing pick, which was Mario Williams with 100-plus receiving yards and two plus TDs and he did not reach that so no winner in the prop bet so on the season now before one more game the Cotton Bowl 
I have a lead, 14 wins against 10 losses and six ties against my guests. So we'll see what happens when we get to the Cotton Bowl, if I can hold on and win the season series again against my guests there. But the last question I have for you now with the season coming down to this Cotton Bowl against Tulane, a team that has not played in a major bowl since the 1930s, and USC may be dealing with injuries, having the disappointment of not making the college football playoff. Are they going to be motivated to play the green wave in that game? It's a great question, Nora. You know, what, what is a team's mindset going to be when they have a setback like this? Now, even though, as you said, who wouldn't have been thrilled if you said, hey, you're looking at an 11-2 season and a New Year's Six bowl game, before the season, I mean, you'd have just thought you were dreaming. But then you go through it, and then your expectations are adjusted along the way. And that's what happens with fans. In fact, again, I told my students a week or so before the game, don't take this for granted. In other words, don't just say, oh, well, it's been great. No matter what happens, it's just starting. It'll be better next year. You don't know if it'll be better. It looks like it could be, should be maybe. But you don't know. But we know right now that at that point, USC is one win away from making the college football playoff. And it was like, don't take that for granted. Really appreciate how close you're getting here to it. And then let's see what happens. And so now what kind of mindset do the players have? And I think a lot will be on the coaches. You know, how motivated can the coaches get the players and can the practices continue to be productive and filled with the right spirit? That's really going to be the question because you know that Tulane's going to bring it. And they go into it, everybody in this kind of a, the big brand versus the small brand bowl games that historically we've seen that are really kind of fun. I think that's one of the fun things about bowl games is when a Boise State plays Oklahoma back when Boise State was, you know, really establishing its brand. And it's fun to see, but there's a lot to lose in that sense. You don't have a whole lot to gain. It's kind of like a hold serve situation. You want to hold serve and win it and end the season on a winning note, going into the off season, going into recruiting, preparing for spring practice, you're coming off W. I've changed my thinking over the years. I have a couple of friends that really emphasized to me the importance of winning your bowl game. And I didn't take it as seriously when there wasn't a championship at stake. And over the years, I've really changed. I really believe it's important. I think there's just something about ending the year with a win to carry you into the next season, at least into the off season. You just have a little more, as I like to say, pep in your step coming off a win. So I think that's going to be one of the huge storylines of the game is, you know, will Caleb Williams play? Will Jordan Addison play? Will Tupelotu play? Will the team have, you know, that same kind of energy and spirit that I think it's going to take to play the kind of game that you want to play? So we shall see in the new year in the Cotton Bowl, USC against Tulane. This is the Everything USC podcast. I'm Nara Wang. My guest today is Jeff Fellinzer of USC's Annenberg School for Communication and Journalism and a Heisman Trophy voter. If you enjoy listening to the show, you can subscribe, download, and rate it wherever you get your favorite podcasts or go to the website Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com on social media, at Believe Network and at Believe Sports. For me, I am on Twitter. Find and follow me at Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Jeff, where can the people find you? 
please download my podcast, which is called The Front Row. I named it that because I love it when students in my class sit in the front row, sends a great message about being uh, serious about learning. And I have interviews with sports newsmakers, sort of the story of their journey in sports, how they got from there to here. Instagram, you can find me there, Jay Fellenzer, and also Jay Fellenzer uh, on Twitter. This is Jeff Trepanier, former USC basketball and NBA player, and you're listening to the Everything USC podcast with Nara Wang on Believe. Fight on, my fellow Trojans. As mentioned already, my guest today, Jeff Fellenzer, is one of the people who votes for the Heisman Trophy. So the Heisman, as we record this on a Thursday evening, is going to be given out on Saturday night, 5 p.m. Pacific time. You can catch the broadcast on ESPN of the presentation. All four finalists this season are quarterbacks. USC's Caleb Williams, of course, along with TCU's Max Duggan, Ohio State's C.J. Stroud, and Georgia's Stetson Bennett. Most of you know Caleb Williams' resume, passed for over 4,000 yards, 37 touchdown passes, tied for first in the nation with C.J. Stroud, only four interceptions, also ran for 372 yards and 10 touchdowns on the ground, the most total offense yards in USC history for a single season. Max Duggan out of TCU wins the Davy O'Brien Award and for a guy who did not start the opener for the Horn Frogs took over when Chandler Morris got hurt in that game and leads the team to a 12 and 1 record did lose in the Big 12 Championship game but still going to the college football playoff. Ohio State's QB CJ Stroud finished 4th in the Heisman voting last year comes back, has those 37 touchdowns against six interceptions, well over 3,000 yards again, led the Buckeyes to an 11-1 record, and takes over for USC, sneaking into this college football playoff as the fourth seed. And then finally, Georgia Bulldog quarterback Stetson Bennett, just a guy who's been around forever, wins the national title last year, but comes back to school Leads the Bulldogs to another undefeated regular season. They're 13-0 and SEC champs and going back as the number one seed in the college football playoff. 3,425 yards passing, 20 TDs, and 6 INTs for him. So I know people can accuse me of being biased, but I think Caleb Williams was the best player in this season. Overall, he was the one who meant the most to his team. He was the one who elevated his team the most. But I don't have a vote, Jeff. You do. So what was your vote and what was the thinking behind it? So in the 15 years I've been voting, Nara, this is the first time I have voted for a USC player as my choice. I had Matt Barkley third his junior year. But this is the first time. And I I guess somebody looks at a person's profile and sees the you know USC in my background and probably wonders if there's some sort of bias, favoritism. If anything, I think it goes farther the other way is, you know, you want to make sure that you take it as seriously as I think the honor of being a Heisman voter demands. And I always have and have prided myself on being as completely objective at all times as possible. And I, with that in mind, I felt that Caleb Williams was absolutely deserving of being anointed the best player in college football this season. I thought going into the Utah game that he had a chance to make it a landslide victory. Once 
Hendon Hooker fell off a bit, went down, was hurt. And Bryce Young in Alabama lost a game and, you know, he was hurt there for a bit. It just seemed like guys were falling a little bit around Caleb and Caleb was just on an absolute upward arc and finishing it with the UCLA and Notre Dame games. It really felt like it was kind of a crowning achievement with the way he played against Notre Dame, much like Carson Palmer did in his Heisman winning season, finishing with the Notre Dame game before the conference championship game started. So I just felt that when you added it all up, the impact that he had as a passer, the unbelievable displays of athleticism and savvy and just quarterback instincts that he showed, factoring in, too, that he's first year in the program. I just thought you added it up and he had a resume second to none. I think that Max Duggan closed the gap. I don't think it's going to be a landslide. I was very impressed with Duggan. I saw a lot of Cam Rising in Duggan Saturday watching the entirety of the TCU-Kansas State game. I think even if TCU had pulled the game out, it wouldn't have significantly affected the result. I think Caleb will have a a strong victory. I, again, I don't see it maybe as the landslide I thought was potentially the case going into the Utah game, but those are my one-two, and I put a lot of thought into the second and third lines. There's only three lines on the Heisman ballot, and I like to put as much thought into second and third as I do into the first line because it's really an honor to go to New York and be a finalist. I thought that the four that ended up being the finalists were very deserving. My third line went to Stetson Bennett. I think that there was obviously a separation, those four, and then who came after. And I'm guessing probably Stroud at four, and then Michael Penix probably will finish fifth. If I had to guess, it would be that. But, you know, there's a separation between the candidates who are invited to New York and then the rest. And so we saw that separation with the four finalists and the rest of the pack, which, as I said, I think will include another Pac-12 quarterback, Michael Penix, as number five. Yeah, and of course, they changed the rules last year. I believe that they would always invite four people, so there would no longer be that revolving number of three, four, five, or whatever it would You're be right. based on the voting. So there's yeah, always going right. to be four. There may be a pretty big gap between two and three, I would think, this year. I think Caleb and Max definitely put themselves above everyone else. And I have no problems with how you voted. I think the third position could have gone to a handful of people. I think you could have even thrown in yes. Hendon Hooker and Blake Corum into that because while they were hurt for a couple of games at the end, while they played, they were quite dominating and quite important to their team's success. Yeah. So yeah. I think there's a lot of guys that could have been in in that third position, but I agree with you. I think Caleb Williams should win it. I think Max Duggan should finish second. And for third place, you know, you could throw any of those bunch of names into there and I would have been fine with it. So we shall I'm see. I'm with you. I'm with you on that. Yeah, I thought, and I, I shared this every week with my class. We, we, I always make kind of a fun deal in the fall where I do my weekly top three along with what I call knocking on the door, the next group. I do it every week just for fun in the class. And it's kind of fun to get input from the students. And one of my students from Illinois was beating the drum for Chase Brown, the great running back at Illinois early in the year. He, he really helped kind of get him on my radar. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. I mean, he's really good. 
So, but I, I said the same thing you did. I said, you know, there's some names here that are really almost interchangeable. I had Bryce Young in my top three for much of the season, you know, and I've watched Bryce play obviously a long time going back to when he was at Cathedral High School before he transferred to modern day. And Hendon Hooker, at one point, I thought he's going to certainly be a finalist. He'll be one of the four that gets to New York. And it didn't work out that way. And things can change. Things can change pretty quickly. None of us had Max Duggan. TCU didn't even have Max Duggan, as you alluded to, uh, the first game of the season. But didn't even start the game. So, yeah, there were a lot of guys that I think could have plugged into that third spot. I thought Stetson Bennett's consistency just over these last two years. I, I think he's gone beyond being a game manager. I mean, we throw for 3,400 yards. I mean, that's legit. You know, and he can, he makes plays with his legs occasionally too. So I just think for a little bit of a career achievement thought with him, but you know, 3,400 yards again is a fantastic season. And the way he led Georgia all year to another undefeated record. And, you know, they had a fair amount of turnover, especially on defense. So, you know, great season there, but you know, great season for all of the finalists for sure. Always enjoy getting your thoughts and talking about the Heisman with you. You know how much I love the Heisman Trophy. And so we'll see Saturday night if USC can add what will technically be the seventh, but we all know is really the eighth Heisman Trophy winner to the program's history if Caleb Williams can get it done and win the Heisman this year. So this is the Everything USC podcast. I am Nara Wang, and my guest today is an associate professor in USC's Annenberg School for Communication and Journalism, Jeff Fellenzer, Heisman Trophy voter, former LA Times sports writer as well. And if you enjoyed this show, subscribe, download, and rate it at all of your favorite podcast directories, Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, TuneIn, and much more. Or go to the website Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media at Believe Network and at Believe Sports. For me, Find and follow me on Twitter at Narawang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Jeff, where can they find you? You can download my podcasts, which are called The Front Row, wherever you get podcasts. Available there, it's stories of interesting journeys among significant newsmakers in sports. Sam Darnold, Bill Walton, Jack Flaherty, the Cardinals pitcher, uh, Dominican Sue. I've got um, very, very special conversation with Dick Enberg, the Hall of Fame sports broadcaster who was a guest in my class and just a really memorable night a few years ago. So we've repurposed that into a podcast. And I think you'd really enjoy hearing the conversation with Dick and Instagram and Twitter at Jay Fellens. Hey, this is Lofa Patupu, two-time national champion at USC and former All-Pro linebacker for the Seattle Seahawks. You are listening to the Believe in Everything USC podcast with Nara Wang. And for my final segment, as I have done all football season long, I have my guests discuss about their thoughts on the move by USC and UCLA to the Big Ten beginning in the 2024 and 25 academic school year and season. So, Jeff, as part of what you do as an associate professor for professional practice for sports, business, and media at USC's Annenberg School for Communication and Journalism, is you get some great guests to come in and talk to your students, including, among them, USC Athletic Director Mike Bones. So did you have any inkling at all that this move was going to happen when it got announced on the last day of June during this summer? 
I had no idea at all. I think like 99.9% of the people out there, I was completely blindsided. I think when, and I had Mike Bone in my class about three weeks ago, three, four weeks ago, and he was very generous with his time and spent close to three hours with us, stayed after to meet the students. He's always uh, so good about connecting with the students and I've got a few athletes in the class, and but he, he's as interested in meeting the, the students that aren't athletes as much as he is in saying hello to the athletes in the class. And, you know, it was very candid and honest, you know, about the circumstances. Didn't really take us too much inside what happened immediately leading up to the move. But, I mean, certainly talked from a business standpoint why it really made sense to put USC student athletes in the best possible position and have the biggest platform. I think he saw the growth of the conference, clearly the media rights money that each school is going to receive is much more significant than what the PAC 12 schools have been getting. And I think even with a new media rights deal that's going to come soon for the PAC 12 or you know, back maybe down to the Pac-10 again. Uh, we'll see what happens with expansion. I think actually the numbers have been downplayed a little bit. I, I expected that the shares for each of the schools in the Big Ten are going to be closer to 90, if not even very close to 100 million per year. And I think in the Pac-12's reaction has been to really downplay those numbers and make it sound like it's, you know, that a new deal in the Pac could make it fairly close. like. 70 to 60, something like that. I don't think that's the case. My sources and, you know, what I've been getting is it's still going to be substantial. And so this idea of, you know, the extra costs associated with travel, I, I think that will be taken care of and there'll be plenty of leftover to help the programs, to help each individual sport. I know with UCLA, they talked about saving sports and I don't know if anywhere in any immediate danger at USC, but beyond just saving a sport, if it ever got to that, it's, it's really investing in a sport. And I think you're going to have a chance to see, you know, women's sports have significant help financially, the non-revenue producing sports. I'm excited about that. I felt, you know, I realized that change is just a part of the college landscape. It's always been that way. You know, Idaho used to be in a, in the conference at one time in the, the West Coast conference, Pacific Coast Conference. It's changed a number of times over the years. This is a dramatic change, but you know what? I think the new rivalries that will come from this, the chance to see these big Midwest brands that we typically see for an occasional football game, regular season game, or just in the Rose Bowl, to be able to have a Michigan State or Indiana in basketball come and play in the Galen Center, uh, Ohio State coming out to play in the Coliseum. USC traveling and playing a game in Madison, Wisconsin, you know, Iowa, I'm kind of excited about. It. I mean, I'll miss the regional rivalries and being able to go and see a game in the Bay Area for the weekender or go to Arizona or, you know, occasionally maybe up to one of the Oregon schools, you know, and we'll, we'll definitely miss that. But at the same time, I think it's going to be fun to see new rivalries develop. It's going to be fun to see new matchups and frankly, uh, you know, a bigger stage. I think the game times will become a little bit more set and more reasonable and i'm kind of excited about that Nora. yeah i think for football there are a lot of things that you can take away as positives i think it's going to be 
a little bit tougher for the other sports when they're going on long road trips during the school year on how the students have to adjust to that. But you're right. When it comes down to it, it's about money. It's about football. That's what conference realignment has been about. And so this is that next step toward what I think is eventually going to just be some kind of super conference, super league, the top 60, 80 teams or whatever. And it's going to be a football only type of thing. And that's how it should be. I think football should be separated from the rest of the sports and have its own kind of rules and regulations and setup and playoffs and all of that stuff. I think we're headed down that road. We're going to be there in 15, 20 years, whatever it is. So maybe we can just speed yeah. it up and get to that sooner rather than later and have all this get bounced around and different things. Because I think it'd be great if football was its own thing and you could still have SC playing in the Pac-12 in all of the other sports. Yeah, you know, you make a really good point. And look, I, I follow college baseball really closely. I think that's one of the best kept secrets out there is going to the stadiums and seeing a great college baseball game. And we have some great venues in Southern California to do that. And yes, it's going to be tough to do baseball road trips when it's a time of the year, no matter how far you stretch it before you send teams from the West Coast to the Midwest or East to play. And if you backloaded the schedule to have more road trips in March or April. That's the time of the year in Major League Baseball when you have a lot of rainouts and the weather's cold. So there's going to be some adjustment there. But, you know, I mean, I otherwise, and I, I think for some of the other sports, they're going to be looking at some challenging road trips for sure. But I also think that, you know, a sport like baseball, USC and definitely UCLA will ha- have a chance to make a great impact in the Big Ten. And I think some of the other spring sports, Olympic sports will also have opportunities to really excel, frankly. And again, the the idea of basketball being able to host games against some of the really name brands in the country that happen to be in the Big Ten. I mean, having having a Michigan State, seeing Tom Izzo come out here, you know, or Michigan playing regular home basketball games is really going to be exciting. And then the, you know, the matchups again, as we, as you mentioned, will be really significant in football and, and a lot of fun too. So it's a game changer financially. And it's the way the world, as you said, we're headed towards the super conferences that have been talking about those for decades. And I think those are upon us much sooner rather than later. And you alluded to it a little bit. Not sure if the Pac-12 will just revert back to being a Pac-10 or if they're going to look to try and add a team or two. What do you think this move of USC and UCLA does to the Pac-12 or Pac-10 or whatever it's going to be going forward? I think they'll add teams. Now, that's presuming that Oregon, Washington, Utah don't make a move to the Big Ten, and everybody's kind of waiting to see what Notre Dame does. That's clearly a priority for the Big Ten. But let's say there is no movement with other schools. And I should add that I think I'd love to see two more West Coast schools be added because I think to have at least a couple of more, much more of a semblance of a West Coast component to the conference would make sense. So if you added Oregon and Washington, then you'd have a little bit of that regional flavor on the West Coast like you have in the Midwest and East in the Big Ten. So that will be really interesting if the Big Ten moves on from Notre Dame and extends an invitation to two more schools. 
otherwise, if that doesn't happen, then I could see San Diego State being the next logical member of a revised Pac-12. That one kind of jumps out at me. There aren't necessarily the volume of candidates in the West. I've heard, of course, everybody has UNLV, Fresno State. I, I don't see those necessarily as being the great fits. I think SMU is a closer fit academically while still being competitive enough across the board where that could be a potential fit. So it'll be fun to see kind of where where the pack sees itself, what they decide to do if they're able to keep everybody else together. And these days, I don't think there's a, a sure bet on any of these scenarios, but it certainly just kind of underscores the nature of conference realignment today, which is you got to look out for yourself first. And I think in this case, that's what both USC and UCLA did was they said, we've got to look at, you know, our schools, our future, you know, what the finances are and make the best move for us. Because it's all about the money. I think if the Pac-12 does try to add two teams, they're going to go for the big market. So they need a Southern California market. That would be San Diego State. And SMU, I think, would be the other top priority because it brings in the Dallas market in Texas. So yep. those would be the two I would think they would try and target because that's what it's about. Like People bring up Fresno State and Boise State, which might be better programs than SMU, but those markets mean nothing for TV right. money for football. So they would try exactly to go after right. the big market. I think UNLV would be a third choice in that, but... Again, they might be satisfied with going with the 10 and seeing how that plays out for at least a few years. So it'll be interesting mm -hmm. to see in a couple of years when SC and UCLA jump off. And now all of a sudden we're Big Ten fans, Jeff. <laughs> right, right, right. No, no, you're, you're right. I think it'll be interesting to see, too, Nara, when the Pac-12 announces its media rights deal, which will be probably in the next two months. I think probably by February we'll have something resolved there. And look, those media rights could rise in value if you added the Southern California market in San Diego. And as you said, the Dallas market with SMU, for example. So that's another reason to pay close attention over these next couple of months, because you'll get the lineup probably in place as they're negotiating with potential broadcast partners. So we will see what happens. Never a dull moment. No, it isn't. And Jeff... It's always fun getting to talk sports with you, especially because you're a Heisman Trophy voter, getting to talk with you right before the Heisman is going to be presented this weekend. Nora, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Always fun to catch up and happy holidays to you and your listeners. So for my guests, Jeff Fellinser, I'm Nara Wang. Thanks for joining us for episode 73 of the Everything USC podcast presented by Bet Online on Believe, the number one content network for professionals, the place to find a sports or pop culture show for passionate fan bases across multiple platforms. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? And as always, I end every show with a reminder to all of you to fight on. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.